college, I was a history major, and I, I think every history major has the same favorite quote. And I think it's probably a quote that all of you know. Uh, let's see if we can do it together. Uh, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Okay, fantastic. Now, that's actually every history major's second favorite quote. I lied. Our first favorite quote comes from this comic. Um, will you put that up for me? Those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Those who do study history are doomed to stand by helplessly while everyone else repeats it. Um, uh, I, there's actually a lot of truth in that. Um, and thanks, you can take that down. Uh, and I think um, that's our role as we're reading Genesis 9 today. Um, even if we are aware of our history, we, we are sort of stuck standing by helplessly while we watch it be repeated in the story of Noah and his sons. So, stop me if this sounds like something you've heard before. Uh, in the beginning, after God has made the heavens and the earth, um, on a high mountaintop, God plants a garden or a vineyard, and in that garden or vineyard, the first ancestor of humanity is tempted to sin uh, by something relating to the fruit of that garden or vineyard uh, and um, falls and does something bad, right? Kind of sounds a little bit familiar, right? Remember the Adam and Eve story? Remember the uh, story of Noah and um, the vineyard and getting drunk and um, getting naked in his tent? Um, both of those stories, by the way, there seems to be an element of ignorance, right? I, we, we recognize Adam and Eve don't really fully understand what they're getting into with the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Maybe Noah doesn't really fully understand what he's getting into. Um, it's the first vineyard, and he might be the first drunk guy, right? Um, after that sin of the first ancestor on a mountaintop garden related to the fruit of that garden, we get a next generation, we get the children, and the children's sin is worse. So, um, the second story is a story of brothers who intentionally sin uh, in such a way um, that not only is their family divided and broken, um, but that a curse comes upon them and upon their descendants. In the story of Cain and Abel, that's Cain murdering his brother. In the story of Shem and Ham and Japheth, it is the story of Ham mocking his father uh, to his brothers. Um, but in both of these accounts, um, we get a, a, a spiraling down of sin, right? We, we get the, the first sin, which seems wrong, but kind of out of ignorance. Then we get a worse sin that divides a family um, that's intentional, uh, that results in a curse that affects generations. This sounds like we've been down this road before, doesn't it? By the way, um, at the end of this story, um, we get a line that also sounds very familiar. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died, right? right out of Genesis chapter 5. We're back to the pattern, um, really the same pattern we had before the flood. 
we're back to the pattern of sin. We're back to the pattern of growing sin generation after generation. We're back to the pattern of death reigning. We thought maybe, maybe Noah would be the one who was going to crush the head of the serpent, who was going to defeat the power of death, but instead he's defeated by death and he died. Now, in this story, um, we get uh, some weird moments, and we're not going to dwell on them a lot today. Um, the, the, the curse on Canaan is a weird moment, right? Because Canaan isn't the bad guy. Ham is the bad guy, but Canaan gets cursed. Uh, and um, I read a whole bunch of different smart people who disagreed on what that means. So I'll just be honest, I don't know what that means. Um, but just so you're aware in the storyline of Scripture, um, Canaan is the ancestor of those persons who will be in the land of Canaan that Israel will conquer and drive out. Uh, and so many people see that as sort of a, a foreshadowing or maybe even an element of prophecy of what's to come. Um, interestingly, those are the first words Noah speaks in the Bible. I don't know if you noticed that, but in the story of Noah, this is the first time he speaks, and the first words out of his mouth are a curse on his grandson. It seems like we're back in the pattern of sin again, doesn't it? It seems like we're back in the pattern that we were at at the beginning of the story, uh, and, and that maybe this isn't a fresh start after all. Maybe we are caught in the same cycle of, of spiraling sin that we saw that led us to the flood in the first place. And, and I think this idea of repetition, uh, this idea of, of the habitual sin of a people or of an individual is one that rings true for us in our own lives as it rings true for us in a, in a big stage, that those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it, and those who forget their own past are doomed to repeat it. And I think many of us, um, not unlike Noah and his sons, fall back into this pattern. Uh, I call it the sin, repent, repeat pattern, right, where we mess up and we say we're sorry, and then we mess up, and then we say we're sorry, and we keep going through that again and again. Uh, I had a friend who sent me a, a video uh, a few months ago, um, and he said it was a, a, a pictorial representation of his life, though I think it may be a, a pictorial representation of all of our lives. Uh, and so, this is uh, like a 30-second, I don't know, like a TikTok thing uh, about a sheep in a ditch. Will, will you play that for me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's great. I don't know who's screaming in that picture. I don't think it's the sheep. Uh, I, I love that video because it's me right? Uh, because um, God pulls me out of the ditch. He pulls me out of my past. He pulls me out of whatever stupid thing I've done. He offers forgiveness and grace, and then I go running and I jump right back in. Uh, and I think this is true for most of us. It's, it's the pattern we see throughout Scripture and the pattern we see throughout our lives that, that we get stuck in this. Um, Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who reverts to his folly. 
Uh, and this is, this is the pattern for our world. This is um, the pattern for our lives. Uh, and, and honestly, Genesis 9 ends on a downer note. Genesis 9 ends with this idea that perhaps we're just going to have to go through this whole thing all over again. Uh, we know that God's not going to flood the world again because He's changed. He's made a covenant, but it sure looks like um, humanity hasn't gotten the fresh start we hoped for. So, I think um, that part of the fresh start, part of the reset, is the ability to, to break these repeating patterns in our world and in our lives. And if we don't see a lot of hope in Genesis chapter 9, I think we see a ton of hope in Luke chapter 1. Uh, I think Mary is an incredible example for us of how to go about the work of breaking the patterns of history and sin in our world and in our lives. And I think Mary is, um, and in fact, she already began that example for us last week. Uh, last week, the, the initial step that Mary takes to usher in the, the new covenant and the new way of being and the new life is to say yes when God comes to her and asks her to partner with Him in bringing Messiah into the world. She says yes, right? And so we're told here, blessed is she who believed. Uh, but, but then I think there are three other steps that Mary does in our passage this morning that give us some insight into how to partner with God to break the patterns of sin in our world and in our lives. Uh, the first one is really quite simple. Um, Mary goes and talks to Elizabeth. This is a, an interesting moment. My reading of Luke chapter 1 is that Mary goes almost immediately right? We're told, uh, in those days she set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. Um, remember, Mary lives in Galilee. Jude that's the northern part of Israel near the Dead Sea. Judea is the southern part. Um, so, Galilee and then Samaria and then Judea. Judea is the region where you would find Jerusalem, Bethlehem, etc. Um, so, she travels a good day, a three days journey at least, to go visit Elizabeth. And it seems like it's her first reaction. It seems like her first reaction upon hearing that she's going to be pregnant miraculously with the Messiah is to go talk to Elizabeth. And I think maybe this is the next step for us who are interested in breaking those habitual sins or the pattern of brokenness in our lives and in our world. I think we all need an Elizabeth. We all need a Christian friend um, who can come alongside us and point us to God and encourage us when our faith struggles and with whom we can be fully open and honest. I, I've shared with you guys a number of times that uh, I have a, a bunch of Elizabeths in my life, but um, one is my friend Dave, who is a pastor actually in another state. Uh, and we talk every Thursday morning, and we have read books together, and um, we just share our lives. And he's somebody with whom I can be completely honest about every stupid thing I've done. Um, it's someone with whom I can um, ask for advice about those places where I don't feel like I'm living well. And because of um, those weekly conversations with my friend Dave, I parent differently. Uh, and I, I husband differently. Um, I have broken patterns of sin in my life, and um, I've gotten advice about how to be a, a better 
Christian and a better pastor and a better friend, uh, and, and having someone with whom I could be that open um, has, has really, it's really changed my life. And, and so I always come back to this, do you have an Elizabeth? Do you have a person in your life who shares your faith with whom you can be overwhelmingly honest about whatever places in your life where you're struggling? That um, might be a sin. It might be a place of brokenness. It might be dealing with depression. It, it, it could be anything. Do you have an Elizabeth, a friend, a spouse, a pastor, a counselor with whom you can talk and gain counsel and gain wisdom? Every Mary needs an Elizabeth who encourages her to be different, who celebrates her courageous faith, who keeps pointing her to God. Who's your Elizabeth? Second thing that Mary does in this story um, is she has this incredible song. We call it the Magnificat. And I don't know uh, if in this moment Mary actually has this thing memorized in advance and just burst out with it or if it comes spontaneously. Or, um, but it's this incredible song about her vision of who God is. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the lowliness of His servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is His name. So she begins just praising God and loving Him and celebrating what God has done. But then she has this, this wild vision of how the world could be if we would recognize and change our history. She says, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. This is more than just an absence of bad things. Mary says, I have a vision about what the world could look like if we would all partner with God um, and remember our history and let Him set us on a different path. And I think um, this idea of, of having a vision of the life we'd like to have with God is critical for us. Lynn Anderson tells a story um, she says, 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into a wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardships to get there. But in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. With a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, no ocean of difficulty is too great. Without it, we rarely move beyond our current boundaries. Do you have a vision of what your life could look like if some habitual sin wasn't a part of it? Do you have a vision of what your family could look like if Christ was placed at the center of it? Do you have a vision of what your community could be like or your city or your world if 
if we learned from the patterns of history and chose to be different, chose to partner with God in reclaiming our world. It could be um, that that might result in children in our school district experiencing the love of Christ through clothes and gifts and presents and food and prayer partnerships in the winter season. It could be um, that that kind of vision results in your children coming to recognize that your faith is integral all the time in your life and therefore should be all the time in their life. It could be that you begin to live a life fully focused on Jesus and not on whatever sin or distraction keeps you unfocused. It could be that you have human relationships that mirror the divine relationship of unconditional love, of grace, of service. What's your Magnificat? What's your vision of how things might be different partnering with God? Uh, and then the, the third thing that Mary helps us with in this process of breaking out of repeated sin. First, um, she has an Elizabeth. She has a, a Christian she can go to to share her story. Um, then she has a vision of how things might be different. Uh, and then she does this one weird thing tucked in at the end of our passage. It's a, it's a line I have read over and, and, and zoned out on for years. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home seems like it's just the coda, right, on the story. It doesn't seem like an important detail. Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. I've been thinking about this one little line a little bit this week. It seems to me that that's more dramatic than we realize. It seems to me that Mary is risking something significant here. Remember her situation. Mary is a teenage girl who's engaged to be married to a man. She's pregnant not from that man or any other man, and, and she is currently living away from the house, right? She has is, she is left home uh, living in a different state, if you will. And it seems like if I was Mary, I might choose to go back home and be in my parents' house with my fiancé nearby so that when I started showing that I was pregnant… I could say, hey, you guys have been watching, and you know I haven't done anything crazy. But Mary spends three months in Elizabeth's home, meaning by the time she finally gets back to her home and her fiancé and her parents, she's in her second trimester. She's starting to act and look pregnant. And I think for Mary, she recognizes that something about being with Elizabeth is critical for her. And so she takes one meaningful but risky action to try to work on changing the pattern of her world. And I think this is part of what God calls us to do. He calls us to take one meaningful and risky action to change the patterns of sin in our world and in our life. Um, this doesn't mean that in one foul swoop, you're going to fix everything. It doesn't mean that in, in, in one little decision, you're going to solve every problem in your life. Now, it just means that God calls you to take one next meaningful, maybe risky step towards the vision that He and you have for your life. Years ago, uh, I decided that um, it was not a good idea for me to have 
unfiltered access to everything on the internet. And, um, you know, I love movies. Uh, we had a Netflix subscription, and I decided, um, you know what, there's a lot of movies on Netflix I don't even want to see show up on my feed. I don't even want to know that they're out there. I don't have the possibility of ever looking at those. Uh, and so um, I went to my wife, and I said, wife, uh, would you please um, lock this down? I want you to set some controls, and then I don't want to even have the password. She said, great, good idea. We set it up. Uh, And then a number of years after that, I was hanging out in North Carolina with uh, two of my good guy friends, and uh, it was just a guy's weekend, and um, we had been, I don't know what we did that weekend, all kinds of stuff, but um, we'd come back in from playing football on the beach, I think, and they said, hey, um, let's watch a show. I was like, sure, that's fine. I got Netflix. What do you want to watch? They said, oh, you've got Netflix. Let's watch Breaking Bad. And I, I don't know what Breaking Bad is very well, but okay, sure, let's watch it. And so we turn on Netflix and we look for Breaking Bad. It's not on there. Oh, I think you guys are wrong. It's not on Netflix. No, it's definitely on there. And then I realized, oh, I know why it's not on there. Because it's not on my Netflix. And I said, oh, you know what? I, I probably can't get it on my Netflix because I have all these controls on it. They said, okay, well, just go in and, you know, you can just log in as the administrator and change it so you can enable it. And I said, no, you don't understand. I can't do that. I don't want to be able to do that. Uh, and it, it, in the moment, this was at a younger age when I wasn't maybe as smart as I am now. Or, well, that's not saying a lot. But, um, uh, and then I was actually kind of embarrassed, right? T- today, I think you're crazy if you don't have controls on your electronic devices. But then I was a little embarrassed, right? And I was embarrassed that, oh, you know, I guess maybe some people are, are so great that they don't need to set controls about what they want to be able to watch and not watch on Netflix. Um, But, you know, for me, at that stage of my life, it was a meaningful step. It was a meaningful step that I didn't need to watch super violent movies or super sexual movies, or I didn't want to see that stuff even appear or be tempted. Uh, And and that little step um, was part of um, my spiritual life to say, God, I'm not going to fix all my problems in one foul swoop, but I'll take one meaningful, risky step for you. For you, that might mean... um, Uh, It might mean locking down an electronic device or asking a family member to help you do that. It might mean um, deleting a contact in your cell phone because there's a relationship in your life that you know is toxic for you. Uh, It might mean um, not just giving up drugs, um, but giving up some of those friends you do drugs with because giving up drugs is one thing or alcohol or drinking, um, but giving up those connections to that lifestyle, that's a lot harder. It might mean you setting some healthy boundaries around your work life. It might mean you saying, you know what, Um, once a a week on the Sabbath, I'm going to not do any work, not because I'm lazy, not because I don't care, but because my family and my God deserve my undivided attention for at least 24 hours once a week. I, I don't know what your small, meaningful step is, Um, But I know it'll be risky, and I know um, that that step will be a step out of the pattern that you're in. It'll be a step out of the pattern that our world is in. It'll be a recognition that the way forward for you is not to keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We said last week that's insane. Instead, it's asking Christ to break the patterns into something new. The tragedy at the end of Noah's story is that he just starts going down the cycle again. 
right? The one righteous man speaks for the first time to curse his grandson, following the pattern of sin that Adam had and his sons falling in the pattern of sin that Cain had. But the hope of Mary and the hope of Jesus, the hope of the new covenant is that we have the option to do something other than just sin, repent, repeat. We have the option to live into a pattern of wholeness and peace, a fresh start that begins very simply by saying, God, I got to have somebody in my life with whom I'm honest. God, I need a vision for what my life might be like uh, if it was at peace with you and the world. God, I need one small meaningful step forward out of this story and into your story. And that fresh start may begin a new pattern for you, uh, a pattern of peace. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.